Good morning. Our scripture this morning is uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashan, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. <sighs> Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people of the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law to God, making it clear and giving them the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Now, the names are secondary to this. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing all the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the, Lord, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this day is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. It's the word of the Lord. There were a lot of names in there, and Richard read very well. And of course, those are the kind of scripture readings. If you if you don't go to church often and you visited a church and you heard that, you might go, "What is happening?" Except if your name was in there, it would matter to you greatly. And uh, it's it sets it sets the scene in a particular time, a time and place. And it is in this text that we hear that those words, "The joy of the Lord is." your strength. Remember that the joy of the Lord is your strength. We've been teaching through a series that we've called Stories of Faith and Life, and we've been taking the stories of some people from within the congregation and then teaching uh, from Scripture, but using that life as an example of some important concepts, concepts such as healing, uh, loneliness, all with the idea that how are we going to live this faith in this culture, this world? How are we going to witness to the gospel? And last week, of course, we spoke about joy and our friend Gene Meyer. 
And we said toward the end of the sermon that joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. Joy is the most infallible sign of the presence of God. And noted that though she may not uh, carry the title officially, that Jean is a leader in this church, and that joy is one of the reasons why. We learn from one another. In this text, in Nehemiah, what is happening is a rebuilding, a coming back. Anytime you have any time of rebuilding in your own life or renewal, you can think of things like this, but this is a particular historical moment in the history of these people that mattered, the nation of Israel. They had been in exile, and they were coming back, rebuilding. And the rebuilding was physical. They had to rebuild actual structures. But the rebuilding was also, and more importantly, spiritual. And you have two books that go together in this account, Ezra and Nehemiah. The rebuilding spiritually of the people, a reclaiming of their identity, and the rebuilding of the actual structures of the nation and of worship. And this moment is a moment of great importance. Richard read to us that as the scripture was being read, which the people would not have read for some time or understood or lived. So there's a renewal of hearing the word of God and a platform is actually built so that as it's read, it's being proclaimed over the people and what's happening in the scene. People are weeping. The same people who at hearing the word in another context may have ignored it. But the Holy Spirit is present in such a way, and it is a time of renewal and rebuilding, so they're cut to the heart, and they weep. And it's, on, it's at that that leaders walk among the people who are weeping and say, don't grieve, remember. And there's the words. You want to know where those words come from in our scripture? It's right there. Don't grieve, remember. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This is at a time of rebuilding. And all the much smaller rebuildings should, ought to bring this to mind for us. Whether it's here at this church, whether it's in your own life. The exhortation is to joy. I think today, it's easy to say this, almost cliched, to say many exhortations in our culture today towards positive feeling would be exhortations more to happiness than to joy. Fair to say? We could even say, I want to raise my kids and I just want them to be happy. You don't often hear, as I raise my kids, I just want them to be joyful. I know they're going to be really unhappy a lot of the time. But that's okay. I want them to be full of joy. You don't really hear that. The exhortations are to happiness. And now there's an entire industry built around finding happiness, holding on to happiness. I read an article recently on this, one individual columnist who said that she had, well, she was remembering a particular time in her life, it was recent, when she was feeling kind of down. I think she'd moved from one city to another, and she was dealing with some loneliness and whatever else, and she was thinking, I'm just not very happy. And in our world, the biggest threat is to be unhappy. And so she thought, what can I do to, you know, become a little happier. And so she said, I delved into the kind of advice that people would give. Picked up some self-help books, right? Read positive affirmations, whatever it is. Uh, Read some psychology in these self-help books. And then she says, and I also, on my phone, I searched the app store for happiness apps. 
And apparently, I don't know if any of you have these, apparently there's lots of them. And so she, she found what she thought looked like the best one, and she put that on her phone, and then she thought, maybe this will make me happier. You know what the app did? At supposedly random, I don't know how often times throughout the day, her phone would buzz or ring, but buzz now. Nobody has a ring anymore, right? All buzz. Her phone would vibrate, and it would be the app saying something like, remember how special you are. <laughs> what do you think was the outcome in her psyche? She said this. She didn't just completely diss it, but she said, it didn't really work. I didn't feel happier. In fact, she said, every time my phone buzzed, I felt something. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I told the first five kids this story. These are kids in kindergarten through grade five. We have on Friday nights the event here, a ton of kids, right? I told them this story, and they got it. In other words, when I said, what do you think she felt every time the phone buzzed? They got it without any further. So what do you think she felt every time her phone buzzed? A what? Annoyance? Yeah, maybe. Guess what? They, these children said this. And the rest of you, everybody, I know this is what you would answer, right? They, they said, I said, what do you think they felt, or she felt every time the phone buzzed? And they said, I think she hoped it was a person. And that's exactly what the column said. She said, what was interesting to me, she did talk about the annoyance, but she said was, I was taught in this that every time my phone buzzed, I thought maybe someone's calling me. And she reflects then in the rest of this little column that what makes us happy, this isn't a Christian uh, you know, column that she's writing, but it's something that in our faith we know, what makes us happy is other people. Not all the affirmations we could ever tell ourselves. I tell you that in terms of happiness, but joy, of course, is much much deeper. Joy is not fickle like happiness. It doesn't come and go as much. There's a reason when we share about the lives of people in our own midst that joy has a much greater depth in our understanding than happiness does. Joy is found also, though, in relationship with people and with God. And so when we hear the joy of the Lord is your strength, we're being called to understand something much deeper. I think of my Nana who died a number of years ago now, singing to me in German, sitting in the back of a car, driving from Mississauga to Leamington, Ontario, singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You know that? You do. She would sing it in German, and I can't remember. But I do remember the sound and the feeling, all of us sitting back there with no seat belts because that was fine then. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depth of my heart. The joy, 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 joy. So what does it mean to go a little deeper into what joy is? Firstly, and you can see this in the text, and I want you to read the text and see this, but I'll just teach you some of these points here, just a few. First, joy is not based on circumstance. Note the exhortation to joy in our text this morning is for people who were feeling grief. There was renewal going on, which is joyful in itself, but what they were feeling was repentance, sorrow, overwhelmed with the sense of self that you feel and I feel too. I think you feel that. I feel it often. I don't think it's just me. Or I think, I'm just overwhelmed with a sense of myself in not a positive way. 
It's something like repentance, but they were feeling grief. Joy can come right with repentance, even feeling bad, even feeling unhappy. We ought to be thankful that there is a distinction between happiness and joy. People might not be able to articulate it well in our culture, but just about everyone knows that there is a distinction. Are you feeling happy or are you feeling joyful? Somebody might say, well, joy is lasting happiness. That's not quite it either. They are different and distinct. Joy is deeper than happiness. Happiness is much more closely aligned with circumstance. So I had, this is, this is going to sound like the worst lament, because nothing bad really happened. But I had one of those days yesterday where things were just breaking, and then you start to feel sorry for yourself. So bike problems, like I, you know, I cycle all the time, and then this thing broke, and then that thing broke, and then that is going to cost this. No, no, no. And then car problems where it's like big deal and big. One thing after the other after the other circumstance. Circumstantial. And I always, I always tell you this often, so I do remind myself as well. When your angst or your trouble, when that's coming from things you own, my car's not working or my bike's, then you got to put that in perspective with the rest of the world. And so I kept getting calls from the place that was fixing my bike, and you know how that doesn't work out that well? Hi, Mr. Weeb, just want, yes, this is calling from uh, Mountain Equipment Co-op about your bike. And then I'm thinking like, oh, it must be ready. But I'm waiting and they're like, yeah, another thing we found. Right? So that affects my happiness, to be sure. But actually, the more that this goes on, in my faith, I'm reminded that joy is much deeper than this. Lord God, you have blessed me, you've blessed us so deeply and richly. Happiness is connected to circumstance, but joy is above circumstance. And you will know this when you see someone else. We spoke about Jean last week. You see this in your own life, or you see a friend or acquaintance or family member, and they are joyful in times of deepest sorrow. How could that be? But you've seen it. And some of you have known it. And we would say the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is about character and security in relationship, ultimately relationship with God. Joy is bigger than your situation. Secondly, joy is not allied with optimism. Optimism is a curse in our culture right now. I mean, it's better to be an optimist, I guess, than a pessimist in some ways. I don't like, you know, spending all my time around people who are just like, you know, what else could happen bad, right? But optimism has become something of a curse because it sets up an idea of life that everything is supposed to be great all the time. And then that can, in a roundabout way, make you feel worse, If it's happiness you're talking about, then that makes sense. But joy is not allied with optimism. This quote, which I want to get off the screen because it's really depressing, but this is actually a writer that I really like. He's an atheist philosopher named Alain de Botton. I read most of what he writes. His respect for religious faith goes deeper than most Christians. And in some ways, his understanding of religious faith. This is from a book called Religion for Atheists where he's talking to fellow atheists and he's saying, we could learn a bunch of things from religion. 
And one of them is, he said, religion gets pessimism better than we do. Now, I would argue that that's changing. The church is trying to present kind of a happy happy faith that sometimes isn't very deep. This is a quote where he's talking about marriage. He says, the, the major face of the world have a, a better view of marriage than, than the secular world. And he says this. I'm not saying I agree with all this quote, by the way. And I'm very happily married. Anyway, one of society's most grief-stricken arrangements, this is what he calls marriage, which has been rendered unnecessarily hellish by the astonishing secular supposition that it should be entered into principally for the sake of happiness. You get it, don't you? And I do weddings. And I I don't want to say, you know, you don't want to ever say kind of extreme words of caution in a wedding ceremony, but when you see in a couple that they think, and not all couples act this way, but that this person is going to meet my every need and make me happy, that's what he's speaking against here. Speaking against a blind optimism. When the people were having the scripture read to them, they weren't being told that everything you've done and everything you will do is okay and you'll always be happy. In fact, what they heard as the scripture was being read cut to their hearts and made them repent. But they were moved towards joy in that. Again, joy and repentance can be close together as opposed to the blind optimism of our day. Finally, we need joyful leadership. I'm making a cultural comment here. There is joyful leadership in this text. You have Ezra, Nehemiah, Levites, priests, others, and people who are walking around reminding the people to be joyful. Do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, empty kind of positive feeling is not, is not what they're talking about. They're not saying, just put a smile on your face and look happy. They're saying, don't grieve. Remember, even as you're cut down to the hearts in repentance, remember. Can you feel this now? Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's your circumstance? What's the difficult thing you're facing? What's the awareness of your own sin, which is a necessary part of our faith, to be aware that we are sinful? When I pray and the Lord reveals to me my sinfulness, which happens often, it's not like a person revealing it to me in a way that makes me feel smaller. It is a loving revelation where I think, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But in my Christian faith, I also hear, remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm renewed. We need joyful leadership. And this is not a comment on political sides, but joyful leadership is much deeper than simply sunny ways. Joy. We need joyful leadership in the church. Because that joy is a mark that our leadership understands something bigger than our own circumstance, be it easy or difficult. This scene of caution and warning 
was not a scene of telling the people how terrible they were. In our age, and thankfully the sunny ways is a contrast to much of this, but in our age, many people come to leadership and places of leadership by being the most afraid, the most angry, the most divisive of everybody else. More angry and divisive and afraid than others, including too often leaders who are sanctioned by Christians. Finding the most upset one. We need leadership that is joyful. In this text, the emphasis. Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can you picture that day? This is a people being rebuilt in this time. And they feel like they don't have enough and they're unsure of their future. But the joyful leadership focuses them towards the Scripture, towards the Lord. We would say now, certainly, in our Christian faith, towards faith in Christ. And the emphasis is that though you feel this and you are unsure of your circumstance, God is with us. He is guiding us. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I think in my Christian faith, because when I say that, and this is an Old Testament text that doesn't directly articulate the presence of Jesus Christ, but clearly it's there. And in my Christian faith, as soon as I say something like that, I am removed from the particulars of my own circumstance, which matter, but I'm removed from being Uh, directed by them in my emotion, my attitude. And I remember something like, in Jesus Christ I know joy. And then I hear my Lord say something like, and I hear it personally, I offer it to you personally, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what? And I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Take on my burden. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I hear that. And I say, whether it's in work and ministry, whether it's in family life, whether it's in the uncertainties that many of us face, but I hear Jesus Christ saying, come to me. And I hear in that the joy of the Lord is my strength and I know peace. This is a gift in our culture that seeks to offer happiness. But not the depth of joy that we can know in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I would say to you this morning, whether you've been a Christian for years or you've never prayed, this prayer to come to say yes to Jesus Christ. Hear him again say to you, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this joy is evangelical. We come before you this morning repenting of our sin. We've done things that we ought not to have done. We've left undone things that we should have done. And we pray your forgiveness. We repent before you. 
We pray that we would know the life, the renewal, and the hope that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those in our midst who are in trouble, difficulty, health-wise, other matters. We continue to pray for Tara. We thank you for Marilyn Bissell and the good news that she had recently and that she was able to go back to Arizona. We ask for her continued strength and healing. We pray for Ralph Bagshaw this morning, uh, someone who many in this church know and who's received this diagnosis of blood cancer. We pray for him as a man who is used to never stopping and always moving and now at his age faces aging and now illness and we pray for his healing and strength and for that communion that comes with you, Lord, in his faith. We pray that you would make us people of great joy. We're so grateful to know you, Lord Jesus Christ, to know the faith that is in you. We pray that this joy would be bigger than our circumstance. And we pray that it would indeed be a witness to our faith in this world. So come, Holy Spirit, we ask. We pray a blessing upon the offering as it's taken, that the gifts of that the gifts given in this church, given back to you, would be used. Lord Jesus Christ, that we would know your love and that others would as well. And we thank you for your church in this community and the blessing that it is to work together. So we pray for this offering and ask your blessing. In Christ's name, amen.